Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another week of Chasing Frets. I'm joined this week by my co-host, Joe Gore. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing great. Really, uh, really stoked to talk to Ariel. What an interesting guitar player. He is a super interesting guitar player. Canada's own, Montreal's own now. Uh, he's going to be our guest this week. And I remember the first time I met him, I think it was like right before a NAM show a couple years ago, he just sent me like a, a quick DM and said, hey, I've seen your guys' videos let's 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 hang out or say hi or something and i happened among the 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 cert booth at nam and we were literally looking for somebody to demo a guitar and i turn around and and ariel was right there and he came oh, man, in and saved the day and uh and we hung a bit and ever since then we've we've been in in touch through his time with the brothers landreth and now his solo stuff and yeah like you said his slide plane is just is so interesting and unique really yeah he really he really goes to interesting places with it not in an experimental way necessarily, but just he really's right. got a unique voice. And speaking of unique voice, I mean, he's you know he's best known as a singer songwriter. He's a fabulous singer, and there's a really interesting relationship between his voice and his guitar. And not what you might necessarily think. A compelling right. dude. Yeah, very so, very much so. So today's topic, we're going to talk about slide guitar specifically. And I know, as he mentions later this week, he has a bunch of new music coming out. So make sure to, to keep an eye for th- out for that. We'll put a link down in the description for that. And uh, we'll uh, jump right into our first episode here with Ariel Posen. I'm Dweezil Zappa. On my own musical journey, I've had two mentors. One of them was my dad. And the other was Edward Van Halen. The impact Edward Van Halen made on music is enormous. And I find it fascinating to learn how top guitarists were affected and influenced by his playing. Every episode in this series will reveal something different about Van Halen's music. I'll be taking you on a song-by-song discovery of the nuances in the music that literally change people's lives. Put on your shoes. It's time to start running.
with the Dweezil is found exclusively at DweezilZappa.com, a reward music-powered artist site. Hey, Ariel, man. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Chasing Frets. How you doing? I'm doing well, my friend. Nice to see you. Uh, no, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really cool to meet you. Likewise. And I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a while to talk about uh, some of your secrets. We're trying to steal as many secrets as we can from you. And the first one we're going to talk about today is kind of your approach to slide guitar and and how you kind of started in it, how you came across it, and, and what are things you do to kind of craft your, your voice on that. So when did you get started playing slide guitar? And imagine, like most people, you started playing normal guitar. and Yeah, oh yeah, I started playing what we can uh, describe as normal guitar for years, was doing that. And what, I was about 19 or 20 when I started doing a lot of sideman work and sessions and, you know, hey, can you come do this tour? Can you play on this demo? Can you play on this record? Play with this artist? And I just found myself often in situations playing in a lot of roots gigs, some country gigs, some bluesy stuff, where the songs that I was learning and the parts that I was learning had a lot of slide in it. So by default, you know, if you're going to be a working guitar player, have a capo nearby, a slide. You know, it's like the classic working sideman guitar player's mic stand on stage when you see a band play. They've got a few picks on a, on a mic stand. You got a capo on it and you got a slide holder thing. It's <laughs> like you need those things to like be professional or be legit. So I just had them. I, I It's not that I was putting discrete time into it. And just like anybody else, you know, grab the first slide that I saw at a shop and... <laughs> Fiddled my way around through it. It's probably struggled because uh, I, I started on playing on my ring finger because that's what finger everyone was playing on that I enjoyed listening to and saw. And I didn't know anything about raising your action, maybe uh, putting heavier, heavier strings on or anything like that. But I went along with it. And it seemed, something seemed to click. It's not that like I was... I would never say that I was excelling at it, but... Something was going on where people would say after maybe a gig or like the people that I was playing with, they're saying, like, yeah, you know, that slide stuff is sounding good. Like, why don't you do it on some of the other songs? And I was like, oh, okay. I, yeah. I mean, like usually people don't usually hit that part or like couldn't figure out how to do that harmonic thing. Or I was like, oh, really? Okay. Seriously, I like, wasn't thinking much about it. And I, I will say, of course, that like I... I spent a lot of time just sitting with it, just messing around with it. Like with anything, time is the answer, you know? I sat with it, and then... Now, are you started... in standard tuning still, or are you starting to yeah. branch into open tunings? Yeah, I was still in standard standard tuning. Honestly, I, I didn't know anything about open tuning at that point. But I was just starting to get the feel of it. And at that point, I switched to my pinky because it just felt more natural. I realized, hey, like I can use my index finger and my middle finger so I can maybe play some chords, I can play some melody lines, and then I can just go back to the slide so I don't have to just, you know, put the slide on my finger when I need to to, to do the part, put take it off, and then play with my fingers for the rest. I could do it as a hybrid and do both at the same time. So that was like a light bulb. And then a couple years after that, I got into a couple different players. I mean, I had been familiar with Derek Trucks, seen him live, and I think anybody's experience seeing him play is is a moving experience. And it wasn't discouraging. 
it was definitely encouraging and inspiring, but there, <laughs> I, I, I didn't watch, I never watched him being like, wow, like that is speaking to me. I need to do that. That's what I need to do. It was a couple other players, you know, first of all, I'm a huge Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. I grew up with the Beatles. Uh, I love all the Beatles solo records too, especially George's stuff. And he was doing some great, great slide stuff. He's and an underrated for, slide player. Super underrated. Yeah. Really, really distinctive. Really kind of weird, actually. But I mean, it doesn't sound weird because we've heard it so much. But he wasn't doing the usual template. Just the composition aspect of it, the way he used it. it was such a songwriting tool. It was such a part of his voice. It was just, it's so signature. It's so good. It was coming from like a less overtly bluesy place. Yes. It oh, was it was more, not- more melodic, you know, more, more not coming from a straight up you know, bending the flat third bluesy style. And you saying that is a perfect segue to my next point. And that's specifically what spoke to me about slide. It was never the bluesy kind of playing. It was never the, you know, that kind of stuff. Dust my broom. Yeah. Love that. Nothing wrong with it, but that that's never where my head was with it. It was, it was a way to take the melody or the idea and just embellish it in a different way. Say something, say the same thing, but in a different way. And you could tie your notes together closer to the way that I was hearing things in my head sometimes. So I stumbled upon a couple other players, specifically one is a Canadian fellow named Kevin Bright, who, you know, he's played with Nora Jones, Katie Lang, a bunch of people, and he's got his own projects. And I remember hearing some of his records, and that was the first time I was hearing some chordal stuff. I was hearing some really interesting stuff with open tuning. And that is what spoke to me. It was nothing really bluesy about it. It was just different. And the keyword is different. And from then on in, I, I took a guitar. I said, I'm going to try to figure out this open E thing. And sure enough, I, I spent as much time with it as I could. I would take that guitar on gigs. Sometimes I probably shouldn't have done that. But there was a lot of trial by fire. But it helped me take everything I knew so far in standard tuning and start applying it to open tuning. And with that, you know, I bought a lap steel and I was messing around with that. And I just got to know that tuning. And I should also say that's the only tuning I mess with. It's, it, it can be in D and C. It's always 151351, just like an open E tuning. And it just inspired so many ideas. And I don't know, my goal was to, without really knowing it, I never wanted to commit to just one because I was really comfortable playing slide already in standard tuning. Open E or open tuning rather was opening different possibilities. But at the end of the day, it was all the same music. It was all the same notes. It was all the same ideas. They just kind of came out a little differently in each one. And it was really important for me to, to kind of go 50-50 on them rather than just using one. And you mean 50-50 right- between conventional tuning and I mean between conventional yeah. playing and slide? Exactly. Yeah. And I just kept going with it basically. Uh, so a couple a couple things here. When you went to Open E, I'm imagining that could be an influence of Derek and Dwayne. It was specifically Kevin. Oh, okay. Yeah, and to be honest, I, he was doing. I was hearing stuff in Open E, and I was hearing stuff in C sharp and C and D, and I was like, I have ne- I, like I've do drop D. I've do drop D all the time, but I had never really heard such low stuff like that. And I remember trying some of that as well. Back to me not really knowing that you need to set up your instrument specifically for that. And I remember being on a session and it was the song was in C and it, it called for this really low C thing. So I tried to tune my 
E string down to a C, but kept everything else in standard tune. Obviously, the guitar was like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> and it was never working. And I, I just didn't understand that you had to compensate. You had, you had to basically match the tension. So if you're usually playing in 11s in E, let's say, or 10s, you know, if you're going to go up to D, maybe hike it up to 12 or 13s. If you're going to play in C, you know, maybe go to 15s or 16s. Or depending what your comfort zone is, you just got to make it feel like you're playing in a comfortable gauge that you're used to. And that was really important. And that made me realize, first of all, like, shit, I need to uh, turn a bunch of guitars into specific tunings and keep them there. Because you can't just yeah. do that to one. And that's a big reason why something like Open C or B standard works so great because you already have all this lower range. You can just capo up and you have Open D, you have Open D flat, you have Open E, Open E flat. You don't need a million guitars. That's a huge, huge part of it. And now I'm just jumping around the place, but like for singing and songwriting and stuff like that, for me, you know, my range, I sing a lot in D, sorry, I sing a lot in G, a lot of C, F, keys that really work well in that lower range. So rather than playing in E shapes and having a capo up to the seventh fret, or I can just have that lower, it's just, it just works for me really well. And to be honest, again, the keyword is different. I, it's such an interesting sound. And those open tunings, you know, a lot of people, again, associate them with the kind of bluesy playing. And yeah, it does really work well for certain lines. And that's a huge reason why they're used. But in lots of ways, too, those open tunings are so much more piano-like compared to guitar-like. They're more and naturally resonant. I mean, Way more naturally resonant. Yeah. Yeah. And with all the droning you can do, just because you have you know, three strings that are tuned to the root, two strings that are the five, it, you have so much opportunity to, to say a lot more with a lot less and have a lot more, exactly, continually resonating and ringing out on the guitar. And it's just, it's... It's inspiring. Well, you you know, you described uh, your process as maybe an archetypal slide player's path, but man, you've ended up at a lot of unexpected destinations. I mean, for anybody who's just uh, encountering Ariel for the first time, this guy is a really distinctive slide player. I'm pretty sure you're the only slide player I've ever heard who uses a lot of uh, octave fuzz while you're playing slide. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, which kind of shouldn't work at all, but it's kind of amazing when you do it. Oh, well, thanks, man. Again... Uh, my goal is just, you know, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel and I have not reinvented the wheel, but I, I'm always just trying to do something different and I'm open to anything. I'm not, you know, I'm never shutting the door on any idea. I've found what I, I like and what I, what helps me get the sounds I'm chasing. And some of the things just kind of stick, even like something like Octafuzz and, and slide, you know, it, Kind of an unorthodox pair, but I found something that works. And unfortunately, I'm stuck with that because I have to do that sometimes because <laughs> people want to hear that, I guess. But So one of the things, uh, the nuts and bolts things I want to kind of talk to you about, Ariel, is, is how do you practice or how did you practice intonation? Because that's such a big part of, uh, of slide guitar. It's, yeah. it's, it's pretty much everything because if you don't have intonation... You know, if you can't find where your center of that note is, especially when you're playing with other people, it's not going to matter how much octave fudge you put on it. Oh, yeah. Strip away all the effects. The effects don't matter at all. And they, I, I like to think that they really don't define anything about my playing. They're just tools that, I, that we all like to use. Something like intonation, 
first of all, anything I've worked on, anything that anybody works on, you know, I'm sure they say, at least this is what I say, 5% of that is some natural talent. The other 95% is time, endless time, putting in those 10,000 hours. Specifically, I would just play. You know, I wasn't necessarily taking each string and playing major scales horizontally up the neck and then back down, pentatonic up and down. I had to, the way I work on things and the way that I kind of have my mini breakthroughs is by applying it and then using it in context. That's why taking an open E guitar on gigs where I have to think on the spot and, and play these parts works so much better for me than just sitting at home and trying to figure stuff out, which I did as well. But when it started to click is on stage in context. And for, for stuff like intonation, I would record myself as much as I can if it, if it meant just like on a crappy camera or on a Zoom recorder. I, I, I can't stress enough how important the use of recording yourself is. It's like looking in the mirror, you know? I, if, I always use the analogy of like, you're walking down the street and you see a friend of yours and they wave to you. They say, hey, man. And you, you wave back. You say, hey. But you're not actually emoting fully. Like you, your face kind of just looks like you're going, hey, like emotionless. But in your head, you're happy to see that person. And you, in your head, you, you think you're, you're smiling and going, hey, how's it going? You know, And they come up to you after and they say, hey, man, I filmed you saying hi to me right now. I thought we were friends. Are you happy to see me? <laughs> and you watch it and you're like, oh, my God, I'm not even I'm smiling. It looks like I'm miserable. Like I was happy to see my friend, but that's what I look like. Now I know that I need to put a little more into it to show that I'm happy or like happy to see them with my emotions and stuff and it's the same thing with recording with with practicing you know things that you think may sound good may not be as great as you think and things that you think are kind of crap might be better than you think when when you're playing because when we're playing we can't really have a good idea of what we're sounding like or what it's feeling like stuff might feel good or it might not you don't really know until you put the guitar down and you press play and just listen with open ears and that's where like self-learning comes from in my in my experience at least so with the slide specifically intonation feel you know just lo- those little things it, it came from a lot of listening and then nuts and bolts you know I, I realized okay playing without a slide you can play anywhere on a fret and it's going to be the same note in terms of its pitch with a slide if you play right in the middle of the fret like where would you where we'd usually play with our finger I'll just show you if I play this note right in the middle of the fret, it's in tune. Now, if I play right in the middle of the fret with the slide, it's quite flat, right? So I learned that you always have to be basically right on the next fret to get that as in tune as possible. And after realizing that, you know, a habit that we all have as guitar players is we just look at the guitar a lot. To navigate our way around, you know, it's, it has a lot to do about feel and muscle memory, but we got, we look. <laughs> and with slide, the more I looked away and just used my ear more, the more the intonation would lock in a lot easier. And I didn't, I didn't uh, depend on how it looked. It was all based on just, yep, that's in tune or that's not in tune. And just for playing too, it really makes it a lot more freeing because, you know, you might land on a note that wasn't the note you meant to land on, but with the slide, you can you can weave in or out closer to where you want it to be and still make it sound like it wasn't a mistake, you know? Right. It's, um, you know, this is a guitar podcast, not a voice podcast, but I find it impossible to regard your slide playing without taking into account 
your voice and the relationship you have between the two. Um, mm. Of course, your Ariel is a singer-songwriter, a really good one, and a, and a fabulous singer. So you're um, you're someone who does have a above average sense of pitch to begin with, but um, the way that you weave the slide and your voice together in your songs is just so beautiful. Oh, thank you. To be honest, when I started playing slide, I didn't really start singing. Not to like start talking about singing, but singing really had no influence at all on the slide playing until maybe five years of playing slide. I was a late bloomer to, for singing. I started seriously like not being afraid to sing in front of a microphone in front of people when I was about eighteen. Well, that's we, you know we mentioned this. I mentioned this when we were talking in an email yesterday. But one thing that's really interesting is that your your singing your singing voice and your slide quote voice are really distinct. You know, it's not like huh. the old uh, the blues guy archetype where there's a lot of similarity between the vocal phrasing and the slide phrasing, and it's almost like two voices. You know, you sing in this lovely, pure, uh, you know, very in tune, uh, you know, tenor, and your your slide stuff is dirty, man, and uh, <laughs> and you know, and you you know, you really work the low register, and it's uh, you know, it's like it's like a great R and B band with two, you know, with with a great high and low vocalist or something. It's uh, two really different characters, but man, do they complement each other? Oh, thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. You know what? A big, a big part about the slide, other than the fact that it helps me, it's just, it's just what I do, and it just what feels supernatural. Even though I consider it really fifty percent part of what I do, so to speak. Um, sometimes without the slide, I know any instru instrumentalist, we tend to just overplay, and we tend to. You know, we, we play the right things, but we also add a lot more that isn't necessary. You know, it's, it's, I guess it's just called overplaying. I find that I overplay a lot less with the slide. Not because I'm limited with the slide, but I put with the slide, I kind of just focus on the notes that matter. There's not really any room or necessary necessity for the extra stuff. So it really helps me trim the fat, I find. And that's really useful. Well, that ethic... That's one thing I... Oh, sorry. That, that ethic is... Your, your band plays that way, too. I mean, I was going to make a joke and say, how many blunt objects did you have to break over the head of your rhythm section to get them to play yeah. so minimally? But, um, you know, there's, there's just a stripped clean quality to your whole presentation, including, including, including the musicians you work with. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky to work with the, the folks that I do. All like-minded musicians first. It's not bass players and drummers, you know, it's, it's musicians who are there to play music and serve songs and serve moments. And those kind of moments and serving music is not necessarily, actually, it's not at all about the notes you play. It's not what you're doing. It's how you're doing it. And, you know, it's those moments of dynamics, the ebbs and flows and all that stuff. And it's restraint, really. It's, that's the biggest key factor is just because you can doesn't mean you should. One of the coolest Always. things you do on slide, and I haven't heard you do it on voice, so in my mind it's an example of where, where the two styles veer off, but maybe you're doing it and I just haven't heard it, um, is you really exploit this very rubbery sense of time. Like when you go into breakdowns, you will phrase things that I wouldn't even call them ahead of the beat or behind the beat as much as uh, kind of twisting the beat into a pretzel. And uh, and your band is so good at backing you up on that because you'll play you know your 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 drummer will be just playing the most minimal little eighth note thing, and then you are kind of getting this exquisite torture by playing you know 
way ahead or way behind or really warping the time. Not in a way that sounds like, you know, like free and free and, uh, and anarchic, but, uh, you know, it's just there's this grind between where we know the pulse is and where you're putting it down. Right. I mean, one word, D'Angelo. <laughs> or another word, voodoo. Listen to that record. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time hearing that stuff and just, it's in time, but it's behind the beat, but it's, it's in time, but it's lazy. And it's like, it's, it's, it's keeps, it's this, but it's that, but it's not that. And it's not that either. And there's something so magical about that. You, you, first of all, you really need to have, like you were saying, a rhythm section that's not going to try to follow that. Yeah. If everyone is, if everyone is going to try to, to do the layback thing, it doesn't work. You really need, <laughs> you really need your people to just keep keep the truck rolling, and you're the one who's got to veer off just a little bit. And I wouldn't even call it veering off. It's it's that's the beauty of time is time doesn't always have to be right on the dot. It can it can push, it can pull, as long as it comes back to where it started. It can feel right, and playing on top can even feel right sometimes in specific genres. Usually, we always say lay back, relax. You know, you don't want to play too on top or rush it. But sometimes there's a place for that as well. No, I just had an image of, of uh, you know, if your band and your voice are like this big truck going down the street, and then your slide time is like a skateboard being towed behind on like a long, stretchy, elastic cord. Nice. <laughs> just, it's just, it's, it's, it's pretty dramatic and exciting, you know, especially, you know, you, you go to these stripped down breakdowns and, and um, it's just so clear and engaging. Well done. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate that. So we've gone all this time now, and we've talked uh, uh, about all the ins and outs of slide guitar, but it would be a shame if we didn't get you to play something. So can you uh, improvise a little slide guitar to, to wrap this episode up, Ariel? Of course. Here we go. That's a good way to end today's episode. Uh, We'll have Ariel back all this week. So uh, we'll see everybody back here on Wednesday. Mm